Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. Today we are covering a Jar Jar arc. Yo! The Disappeared. Parts one and two. <laughs> the first Disappeared, which is aptly named The Disappeared Part One. Love that for us. Mm-hmm. Without darkness, there cannot be light. I don't know about that. I'm no Isaac Newton, but uh, so we are on the planet Bardata, which is full of kelp camel people. They're beautiful water dragon people. Okay. They're humanoid iguanodon people. They're people. And uh, their spiritual leaders are mysteriously spiritually missing. So the queen phones the Senate and says, we need help. And Palpatine's like, I have my best helpers right here. I got Bail Organa. I got Padme Amidala. And the queen's like, please send Jar Jar Binks. Representative Jar Jar Binks. Apparently they go way back. So the Jedi Council gets a call from Palpatine and they're like, could you please send like someone responsible? And Mace is like, I volunteer and agree. And we learn that the Bardatans dislike the Jedi because they are a very Force-sensitive people and their children, because the Jedi take young Force-sensitive children to train to Jedi, that led to a schism between the Bardatans and the Jedi. Yeah, spicy history lesson. Yeah, as we start off. So we get to Bardata. It is this beautiful, like... Tibet, Northern India vibe. They have very cool stuff going on. Mace is relieved of his lightsaber because they are Ixnay on the Edij. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I got that right. I think you did. Well done. <laughs> so there is an ancient prophecy which is coming true and the queen says, everyone must leave. And she stands in the middle of the council, empty council chamber, except for guards and Jar Jar. And they smooch. Kisses him on the mouth. Yeah. I'm not she sure says, he has lips. It's been a long time, my love. Come meditate with me so our minds may be as one. Woo! Meanwhile, Mace is phoning the Jedi Council and says, there's a great disturbance in the Force, but Jar Jar seems to be doing just fine. He's been in there for a while. He's been in there all night. Yeah, but it turns out, because this is a kid's show, uh, Mace tricks his way into the chamber where Jar Jar and the Queen have been, and they're just doing Tai Chi. They're literally doing Tai Chi. (laughs) They're literally doing a moving meditation. It did take all night. I do want to reiterate that. Yeah. So Maze grabs Jar Jar is like, the force is unbalanced. You need to ask the queen what's going on. He's like, that's what I was doing before you came in and interrupted me. She was about to tell me what's going on, Master and Mace. So they go back to the queen. The queen has disappeared. She's gone. She's gone. This is what has been happening to all of the Degoya mm-hmm. masters who are the spiritual like, ancient mystics of the Bardata people. And they have the queen. They have the final chess piece in this prophecy. So they, the Bardatans hold a council and Jar Jar and Mace volunteer to go figure out what's going on. Of course, it is the Frangal cult, which is in the under temple below the city. And that is where they've been going. So Mason Jar Jar head down there. It all seems like a bad idea. Jar Jar goes down a hidden passageway and gets jump scared by a 
cultist in a cultist mask, obviously a cultist mask, who blows smoke in his face and it says, oh no, Misa disappearing as he turns invisible. Yeah, they glitter bomb him with sparkly mm-hmm. blue magic. He melts away into the air. Then they close the door behind him and Mace has to fight his way through a bunch of cultists. He's following down this passageway until he reaches what the cultists are actually doing. The sacrificial lava chamber. So it, it is a lava chamber, of course, and the there is a glowing electro doom dragon and a slip and slide, which leads into <laughs> the, the doom dragon. Oh and they're taking God. the Degoyan masters, which are the spiritual leaders of the Bardatans, and they're Sending them down the slip and slide where they get vaporized into dragon juice. Well, and then they suck all the force mm-hmm. out of the Degoyan masters' bodies and siphon it into a crystal ball. Yep. So good news and bad news <laughs> all around. So in a rather fun action scene, uh, Mace really restrains himself. He only kills like four people. He just beats the rest of them up. And Jar Jar is running frantically around. He ends up going down the slip and slide. Mace is like holding him and juggling him and like throwing Like spin people. kicking cultists yeah. and then yeeting Jar Jar a couple inches up the slide. And then spin kicking cultists <laughs> and then yeeting him around with the force. It's a real, it's a real mess. Eventually, the cultist leader runs off with the queen Jar Jar follows her. Mace is still like, there are so many cultists here. This is a real, real mask, like a real masquerade. Yeah, perfect. And we get to the end of the first episode as the cultist takes the queen, jumps in a very beautiful, like, dragonfly escape yeah, pod situation. And flies off into space because it turns out at the bottom of this temple of doom, there's a spaceship. Literally. Yeah. The prophecy is that if the queen doesn't return to Bardada in three rotations, an era of darkness will rise throughout the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And that is the prophecy that we are heading full force into at the start of the Disappeared Part 2. Oh, importantly, there's a MacGuffin. They are siphoning all the force energy into a force orb full yeah. of green goo. Yeah. So the beginning of the Disappeared Part 2, Mason and Jar Jar follow Queen Julia and her kidnapper in their own ship to a beautiful desert moon. Mm-hmm. The nefarious plot underway is by the cultists who are trying to fulfill this prophecy. They're going to sacrifice Queen Julia and feed all of the force that they've stolen from the Degoyan masters and siphoned into this crystal ball to their great mother. Mm-hmm who we assume is the demon Malmoral, but it is not explicitly stated. This will be important later. Mm -hmm. Mace uses the force to track Queen Julia to a market square. She's being carried along by the cultists. And for the first half of this episode, he and Jar Jar establish this delightful rhythm, this little shtick that they have. Jar Jar runs ahead. He tracks Julia. He gets stuck. And then Mace flattens anything in his way and then stays behind to take care of business. And they just do a little loop-de-loop. There's one scene where Jar Jar is running along and a blaster rifle, like a machine gun, opens up on him. And he's hiding and he's screaming and he's about to get brave and charge it. And then Mace is like, yep, here I am to boot to the head, that guy. Yeah, so this little strategy gets them through a stampede, a gang of guards, the heavy repeating blaster on the tripod, 
And then an ambush by a pair of Gundarks and a Gundark trainer, Gundark sure. tamer. Yeah, he's actually from that planet of the Cherry Blossoms where the Mandalorians were at. Karlak? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Yeah. That's fun. In the Gundark fight scene, Jar Jar knocks Mace's lightsaber out of his hands mm-hmm. and the Gundarks are going to make him like heavy hors d'oeuvres until Jar Jar shoots out his tongue, grabs the lightsaber with it, spits it over to Mace. Mace takes care of business. But while they were busy, the cultist sped away with Queen Julia into the desert night on little speeders. Jar Jar and Mace have to rent some space camels. At an exorbitant price, At an exorbitant price and follow them into the desert night. So they're racing across the desert. The cultists are setting up a ritual sacrifice. They chain Queen Julia to a ziggurat and they are waiting for the sun and moon to align so they can harness the power of the sun. Using a device which apparently like all the planets are aligning and as they do, they're forming like a little gap for the sun to go through. Yeah, and it's then, a big Oculus thing mm-hmm. with these different glass lenses. Yeah, it's like a whole bunch of uh, magnifying lenses all pointed together. So apparently they're making a doom laser to siphon the force energy out of her. Yeah, so we're waiting on the doom laser. And the plan is that the Great Mother is going to suck the living force out of Queen Julia Combine it with her powers to become unstoppable. But importantly, the Great Mother has revealed herself to be none other than... Out of the dark lands a ship. The Great Mother herself walks down the gangplank. Who could it be? It's Mommy T! Mommy T, Mother Talzin. It's Mother Talzin of the Night Sisters. The remaining Night Sister. She has a grand plan of becoming more powerful than the Jedi and the Sith and to rule the galaxy or something. It is unclear. Very bad, but unclear. So Mason Jar Jar get to the ziggurat just in time. But Jar Jar, as he is wont to do, wakes up all of the stone guardians surrounding this temple. Big stone transformer thingies. Yeah, they're like magical force golems made out of rock. Yeah. He, honestly, Jar Jar's at his best in this kind of situation. I'm not going to lie. He gets them all to shoot each other. They all tumble over. He steals one of their guns. Which is comically oversized. It's the size of a motorcycle tire. They climb up to the top of the sacrificial altar. Mace takes Mommy T. Mm -hmm. She conjures a flaming green lightsaber and crosses swords with Mace Windu himself. Yeah. They're dueling. Jar Jar works on rescuing Queen Julia. He uses his big stone guardian gun to knock down all the cultists. He frees Julia. The lenses are aligning. The power of the sun is being harnessed. There's one cultist remaining. Queen Julia tackles him. He stands in the middle of the sacrificial altar. He gets zapped by the rays of the planets and the sun. Mm -hmm. His body flings forward into the crystal ball, holding the living force, and it shatters. And there is a massive explosion that destroys the entire ziggurat. And blows everyone off their feet. Flattens everybody. Yeah. When Mace wakes up, Mommy T is kind of balefully 
holding the shattered remnants of the crystal ball. Mm -hmm. She makes this really sad face and she dissolves into green mist. Yep. Jar Jar and Julia wake up. She declares that she owes Mace Windu her life. And she says, perhaps this is a new beginning for the Bardatans and the Jedi. And Jar Jar yodels their space camels back and they ride off triumphantly into the desert. Yeah. This is the best arc ever. <laughs> I literally love this arc so much. It's such classic weird Star Wars. It's fantastic. So from the get-go, this one has these like heavy promises of like, okay, here's two characters who we've learned to dislike Mace because of his behavior towards Ahsoka mm. and because he's kind of become a wet noodle against Palpatine. His powers have been eclipsed because he's always doing things. I mean, we saw him on the Ryloth arc and he was a complete monster. Oh, but ever yeah. since then, he's been getting noodlier and noodlier. We haven't seen Jar Jar in a long time. Since Shadow Warrior in season five? No, season four. Wow. So it's been a long time since we saw Jar Jar. And then putting them together, it's like, okay, so apparently this is what everyone else is getting up to. Well, Anakin's off in shenanigans, Obi-Wan's off in shenanigans. This is really interesting. Yeah, the Jar Jar Mace Windu team is kind of fantastic. It's funny because we ex my expectation is kind of based off of Samuel L. Jackson, right? And that's like the curse of Mace Windu is that you kind of imagine him as like Samuel L. Jackson in all of Samuel L. Jackson's roles. You kind of expect him to be talking about a Royale with cheese. You kind of <laughs> expect him to be, you know, worried about snakes on a plane. And you kind of expect <laughs> him to be wrecking things up in just any Tarantino movie or as Nick Fury. But Mace Windu is the worst emotion he gets is annoyed. And when he's annoyed, he just goes a little bit faster and a little bit harder yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to talk about Mace in this episode. Mm -hmm. There are, there's what's made clear about his character, and then there's the underlying subtext of his character. So yeah, what is made clear about his character is that he gets annoyed with Jar Jar, and mm -hmm. he is the straight man, and Jar Jar's the comedic relief. But the undertext is that Mace alone could not have come to a happy conclusion in this arc. Not at all. He needed something that only Jar Jar could provide, mm -hmm. which is trust in the potential of the Jedi to do something good. Very much so, as well as in the first half of the arc, uh, Mace is only there on Jar Jar's recognizance. Like, Oh my God, it's so fantastic. The scene in the temple room, the mm -hmm. throne room, when Jar Jar presents himself to Queen Julia is so great because he has to pretend that Mace is there as his servant. Right. He has to say, Misa representative Binks and Hisa with Misa, mm -hmm. which like tattoo that on my body. Hisa I with Misa. love that. Hisa with Misa. Yeah. And that shows a bond of trust going two ways. One of them is that Mace is able to swallow his pride and be like, I am a Jedi master, but in this context, I really need to be playing second fiddle to Jar Jar Binks of all people. And Jar Jar Binks is like, don't mess this up. Like I'm trying to get some with Queen Julia. And also, <laughs> uh, 
And get some vital information. Yeah, yeah, because Jar Jar has full faith in himself that he'd be able to solve the problem one way or the other as well. Yeah, so that's the subtext that I love about this arc is that there's a really delicious twist on the hierarchy, Mm. which is that Mace thinks that he's superior to Jar Jar. But in this situation, Jar Jar is superior to him in most ways. Yeah. He is a clumsy fool and definitely would not have been able to make it through any of the fight scenes. But Mace is only allowed to be there because Jar Jar sticks his neck out and says, no, we need him. Right? Mm -hmm. Queen Julia even says, Jedi, because Jar Jar Binks vouches for you, I will allow you to stay here. But otherwise, I would have kicked you out the front door on your butt. Yeah, for sure. Another interesting note is when Mace is communing with the Jedi Council, Yoda says the mind of a child Jar Jar's is like, or something like that. I think I butchered Yoda Something like that, yeah. But the implication to me was that the Jedi can't even see how Jar Jar would use his, you know, masculine slippery Gungan wiles to, (laughs) to be the positive point of contact for the queen like the fact that there's a romantic relationship just flies right by them they don't even think of using that because they're jedi and they are forbidden attachment they can't see how attachment can be used in a positive way Mm, that is interesting yeah i thought it was really cool i did in my research for this episode find out that the planet bardada Mm -hmm. is named for Brigitte Bardot, mm-hmm. who was that famous, you know, sexual symbol, like seductress of the 1950s. Yeah. And I really liked that implication because it was making it very clear that Queen Julia was a willing participant in this relationship. Like Brigitte Bardot stood for sexual liberation. Mm. And so Queen Julia is saying to Jar Jar, come into my boudoir. Like, yeah. let me confess all of my secrets to you and put you in my trust and put myself in this vulnerable place with you. So that's just another strike to the record of Mace Windu. Like he never could have gotten to that level of trust with Julia because he never earned it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So in the Old Republic books, there's a character whose uh, nom de guerre is the Blade of Bardada. Ooh. Yeah, whatever that means. It, I was desperately researching because I'm a little behind on the comics of the books. And no one, nothing canon has been written about what that means. But a Jedi being named the Blade of Bardada to the point where this is like a 300-year-old Jedi who basically is just the cook now. But when he needs to fight, he just carves a path through the bad guys in like a truly horrifying fashion. All the other Jedi are like, dang. <laughs> so it's uh, it's interesting to have this sense of Bardata. Also, importantly, the Bardatans are rich in the living force, right? Yeah, we learned so much about them kind of sideways through Yoda or through side conversations. Well, Yoda's super enthused about the whole thing. 
He's like, we're going to Bardata. This is a wonderful opportunity. I like love their style. I know so much about them. Everyone's like, else is like, what? He's like, oh, I was way before your time. But yeah. So we get this juicy history lesson. Long ago, the Dagoyan mystic children were taken into the Jedi Order. But because the Jedi were being perceived as using the children for their own gain and taking them against their will, the Dekoyans started calling them kidnappers. Mm -hmm. And they severed all the ties with the Jedi Order. And now apparently there are no, at least Dekoyan children, maybe no children from Bardata at all who are inducted into the Jedi Order. Yeah. So it seems like Bardata has... Bardatans and Dagoyans and Frangal. And the Frangal are also the earlier people, the ones who are the cultists, who had put together this warlike background and had like built the Bardatan Empire and then were overthrown. Yeah, they were the ones who built this ancient demonic shrine temple to worship Malmora. Yeah. And I gotta say, I don't know why more sacrificial temples don't have a slip and slide. Oh my God. The slip and slide was so much fun. Yeah. Think of the utility. Yeah. You can like put all your blood down there. You can send people, you can backhand Gungans down it and send them spiraling to their doom. And uh, what's crazy is when they did send down some priest and all of the, uh, the Bardatans had very like white American names is like, Julia. I mean, Julia. I am Joseph. <laughs> and they, they sent him down and he stops right before the Doom Dragon and evaporates into his Force Ghost. And it gets, you know, the Force Ghost gets separated out. So whatever they were doing before apparently had some crazy level of like Force technology, but their neutrality in the Force separates them from the Sith and the Jedi. But it does also lead them into the arms of Mommy T. Mommy T. So I was kind of laughing about this spicy history lesson Mm -hmm. because I feel like the Bardata are totally right on what they're calling the Jedi on. Yeah. So my mom recently was on the phone complaining to me. She was like, you know, your dad and I used to have a hot tub. And we asked you kids if you wanted us to trade the hot tub for an air hockey table. And you said yes. Mm -hmm. So then we had this stupid air hockey table and no hot tub. And I was like... Dude, first of all, there there was so much that I wanted to say. First of all, if you don't want someone to make the choice, don't give it to them. Exactly. Keep the hot tub. Second of all, like, what did we know? We were eight and six years old. Of course, we said, yeah, get an air hockey table. Well, yeah, because when you're I, eight, you're like not allowed in the hot tub. You yeah. Know? And then if I had grown up maybe four more years, I would have been like, oh my God, this is so cool. We have a hot tub. I'm going to invite all my friends over. But, I'm just saying four-year-olds being inducted into the Jedi Order are probably not able to give informed consent about whether or not they want to be Jedi. Yeah. So it goes to show every other Jedi has been pulled, except for Anakin, has been pulled from a planet at a very young age. And you can see how their abilities are either grown or curtailed as they go through their life and how important it is to have some support structure because otherwise they're just, you know, Joe Spaceman living on a rock and they'll get into trouble 
because they might get into gambling and start like changing it so it always is on red and then they'll get killed, you know, or something like that, using their force powers for nefarious ends. So it it actually helps if your planet doesn't have a strong force tradition to take people who are force users and send them off to force school. Oh, you're saying that young kids who are force sensitive mm-hmm. without Jedi strictures yeah. would get up to no good. Possibly. Or get used, right? They might be forced to toil in, or, you know, put to nefarious ends one way or the other. So the Jedi deliver children from that. However, if your planet does have a strong tradition of force-empowered people, then it makes perfect sense to be like, no, we don't need to send them to your school for gifted and talented force users. We can do our own thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool what we find out about the force sensitivity of the Bardatans. And that's what I love about every time Mother Talzin is part of the plot of the Clone mm-hmm. Wars. The conversation on the nature of the Force always gets so much deeper. Mm-hmm. We find out about the Night Sisters, or we find out about ancient magics that are related to the Force, but not part of Force wielding. So what we find out about the Dugoyan Masters is that they immerse their minds in the force to gain knowledge. And the living force, which is the force of all living things combined together. Ooh, which, I did not pick up on that yeah, nuance. So this idea of speaking of the force as the living force is something that we're going to explore actually a little bit later in this season, which is Ooh, very cool. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. There's a lot that we pick up in the conversation. So Queen Julia talks about... She's meditating deep within the waves of the force, and Mm -hmm. she finds something buried within the rippling waves of the force. And Yoda says, drifting within the flow of the living force, the minds of the Degoyan masters are essential. This connection is whether friend to the Jedi, they may be or not. Fascinating. That says so much, all of that together. Yeah. This is such a Yoda project. And it's, it makes me sad that Yoda's like as the Grand Master is sitting there like having to be on war councils and stuff because he's like, man, I haven't been in a war in 800 years. This is such so lame. I want to be on Bardada, like immersing myself in the living force with the Goyan Masters and figuring out what's going on because it's so cool. And that is like what someone should be doing in their, you know, the prime sort of years of their force using which i imagine is where yoda is but instead mace goes because he's the one who expresses such concern about what's going on yeah i really loved the implication that they set up which is that these degoyan masters are revered Mm -hmm. probably one of their big jobs you know the bulk of their job duties is to immerse themselves in the living force and see what they can glean and find out prophecies and sense what's going on around the galaxy. And Queen Julia is a Degoyan master herself. Yeah. So that says that she's the leader of a people or a planet, but her main job is to do things like meditate and become mm-hmm. more knowledgeable. And I think that's such a cool tradition for a monarch, right? For sure. The image that came most clearly to me was that Bardada is Tibet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. There's 
even prayer flags fluttering around yeah. in the breeze outside of the mouth of this horrifying demon cavern. And it's full of mountains and it has a dark history because Tibet does too up until the 7th century when they converted to Buddhism. But even now, for a long time, it's been led by its spiritual you know, monks, monasteries. That's been a huge part of its politics hmm. for the last 1300 years. So this idea of having a strongly spiritual country, planet, being led by spiritual leaders in this neutral, not crusading, not inquisiting, not witch hunting way, but just like this isolated, steady, studious way mm -hmm. is really intriguing. Yeah. And what I love about that too is that there are so many direct calls to George Lucas's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh yeah, this is a there's a lot of shared sh shots and plots between Temple of Doom and this. Which Sam knows is one of my least favorite films in the history of film history. <laughs> like I could start a whole podcast about what I hate about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But one of the things that I hate most about that film, which was not replicated in the Clone Wars, is the grossness of using India and Indians mm -hmm. for comedic relief. Mm. That happens in the Temple of Doom. And I thought that the Clone Wars was using this sort of Northern India, Tibet setting mm -hmm. to frame the arc. But it wasn't in a weird, exploitative, gross way. It was a very respectful and almost admiring way. It was. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in the 80s is a sex symbol. But he's also the white savior. Yeah, totally. Jar Jar being the sex symbol is a curveball. <laughs> Out of, out of just like out of nowhere. nowhere. It's like Jar Jar's the sexy one, and Mace Windu is like, huh. chopped liver. <laughs> Jar Jar gets a love interest, yeah, and she's hot, yeah, and, and she's, a she's queen. royal, yeah, and he has loved her from a distance for years, and he has been kept from her by his duty as a representative to the Galactic Senate. And she is so excited to finally be reunited with him. Mm -hmm. But it's not like this lustful, like unrequited connection. It feels very respectful. Oh, it's very consensual. It's very respectful. They are genuinely enthusiastic about each other. Yeah. Like, and that's like, it's like the healthiest relationship we've seen on Star Wars This is the healthiest so relationship in Star Wars. Yeah. If God loved me and life was fair, <laughs> this would be the Obi-Wan Satine love story oh gosh yeah. but i'm also delighted for jar jar mm -hmm. and queen julia like they genuinely care about each other yeah and they express that love in very beautiful ways mm -hmm. they go to bat for each other they save each other from danger mm -hmm. they confide in each other they trust each other this is a beautiful love story it is it is at the end queen julia is talking about how she saw Jar Jar would be there as part of her rescue. Mm -hmm. That was her vision when she was immersing herself in the force. And what's intriguing is that like that does make it a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but also the A plot and the B plot were about 20 feet apart the entire time. 
because you have Jar Jar chasing after the queen, getting into hijinks. Okay, so that's around. the A plot. Yeah, and then the B plot is Mace Windu punches everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's just 20 feet behind. And it's really intriguing to see them working together. And it, it feeds off of the energy, the positivity of this arc. Because that mm. is, while they're um, at the very end of the first episode, Mace says... Representative Binks, it may be this place, but I feel like I'm starting to understand you. Yeah. And then when they're riding their camels across the desert. He's doing a little Padawan master Jedi lesson. Sort of. He's he's just like, could you stop yelling at the camels? But also like all these lessons that they have, all these, the ways that Mace moves through this and the way that Jar Jar moved through this are both so pure. Yeah, I feel like Jar Jar was learning from Mace and Mace was learning from Jar Jar. And Mace made it possible for Jar Jar to be worthy of this great love. And Mm -hmm. he made a future possible for Jar Jar and Julia, right? Yeah. Jar Jar needed a lot of help from Mace to get through these dangerous situations. And Mace needed a lot of help from Jar Jar's reputation. And between the two of them, they save the girl, they get to be heroes. They restore a relationship between the Jedi and a powerful Force-sensitive clan. Mm -hmm. Like, the power of teamwork. Really a lot, yeah. And it goes back to Mace in the Ryloth arc when he takes two clones and flings himself and them across a laser bridge. And it's like, all right, time to take over a city. And he's like, I need to be in two places at once, so I need two clones. (laughs) You guys are in charge of pressing one button. I will handle the rest of this. And that is like... What was going on here, because as soon as Mace realizes that Jar Jar is single-minded in his protection of the queen, he's like, all right, you go take care of the queen. I'm going to force yeet you to this problem. Yeah. Well, I take care of this problem. I will do. I'll take care of all the rest to the best of my ability. With my sword. Yeah. Which he also importantly, so rarely brings out. So much of the time, like these cultists are spearing at him and he takes their spear and beats them with it. He's like, no, stop it. (laughs) And like, you see him slash the Gundark and you see him fling one dude into the lava. And and he duels Mommy T with his lightsaber. He does. The rest of his uh, fights are pretty much non-lethal. Yeah. He's, it's all, I mean- Falling down a flight of stairs at the top of a, you know, doom Probably not great for your cervical spine. What do we know? And honestly, at a certain point, if you don't have railings to protect you from a 100-foot fall That's just an OSHA violation. That's 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 a new problem. (laughs) But but the rest of it, he's like, I don't really want... Like, I'm not going to condemn these dark cultists to be to death. I'm going to beat them up and prevent their plans, but I'm not going to kill them. And that is what allows us to still consider that Mace is part of the Jedi Order, right? Because if he's a monster in combat, so if he was slashing his way through everybody, we Mm -hmm. would say Mace Windu is committing war crimes or something to that effect, right? So it's the non-lethal aspect of his combativeness that makes us say, okay, Mace Windu, you're walking a thin line you're walking it pretty well. We're sad about the gun dark, but you can still be a Jedi. I mean, as far as we know, the last non-droid being that Mace took out was Django. 
which is like two years previous. That is a very good point. He has been spending a lot of time in the Jedi Council room on Coruscant. Well, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> they, we're, we're coming Sam s- laughs in more knowledge than me. For knowledge, yes. <laughs> it is my number one claim to fame. <laughs> but as we are so close to the end of season six, and season seven is quick. Mm. So there's, I mean, this is... The last we see of Jar Jar, except for a few bit scenes in episode three, and then he disappears into the chaos. So we can only hope for a happy ending for him. Oh, man. Yeah. There is a book, which is canon, that deals with his end. But it's, um, you know, the the problem with, with Jar Jar as a character is that adults hated him and kids loved him. And... The, the way he is presented in Phantom Menace, and then later his role is so significantly reduced in the second movie, Attack of the Clones, that we see him in the Clone Wars, and that's when he actually becomes really good. Really lovable, very noble. Mm-hmm. When he's voiced by Ahmed Best. Yeah. Because there was that arc in the middle where he wasn't, and that wasn't nearly as good. Yeah, and he was voiced by Ahmed Best yes. in these episodes. I feel like I didn't love it as much as maybe old Clone Wars Ahmed Best voicing Jar Jar. It's definitely turned down. Yeah. It still has a little bit of the the alienness of the Jar Jar voice, but it's a little more subdued, a little more serious. And I think that makes sense in the context of what's going on as well. Yeah. I mean, Jar Jar is on the home planet of his great love and Mm -hmm. trying to be worthy of her love. So I think we are seeing a little bit more of a Jar Jar in her presence who's trying to be worthy of that and respectable and cool and calm and collected. So I think some of the voice acting was toned down. I just cannot express how much I love Hisa with Misa. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a fantastic line. Yeah. It just brings me joy. It does. And it shows how well they work together, which is interesting. As you were alluding to, we haven't seen much of Mace since the Siege of Ryloth off of- Season one. Yeah. And we haven't seen much of Jar Jar, although Jar Jar runs around and gets in all sorts of trouble and does Jar Jar things. And so putting- Putting Mace and Jar Jar together shows, in its own way, the rest of the Clone Wars mm. of what Plo Koon is up to, what Sacy Tin is up to, what Tipli and Tiplar were doing up until, you know, two weeks prior to this event or even during, where we have a bunch of craziness going on. And the Jedi, some of them would be generals, but some of them would be like, hey, there's a mystery on this planet. We're sending one Jedi to go solve it. And maybe a politician, maybe a clone trooper, maybe an envoy, maybe a you know sketchy traitor person. And sending a Jedi to do this type of thing is the, that's like the core back to basics Jedi stuff. We talked about this way early on in our watch through with like, this is the kind of work that Qui-Gon would do. Mm, absolutely. Qui-Gon would have been great at this job. Yeah. Well, the Bardadans are so strong in the Force that they're immune to uh, mind tricks. Yeah, that was a real bad moment for Mace Windu when he tries to mind trick the guards outside of Queen mm-hmm. Julia's Tai Chi chamber. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you should know better. So that's a very funny scene because then he sprints around the corner very suspiciously. They follow him. He de-Spider-Mans from the ceiling and runs to the door. 
Poor, yeah, but, poor guarding all around. But Julia uses that moment to say to Jar Jar, it's just like I told you, the Jedi are yes. deceptive. Yes. They cannot be trusted. How dare you bring him here? So that could have been very bad for Mace Windu and very bad for the mission. It could have been. And that relied on Jar Jar to be as accommodating as possible. I feel like we just keep coming around to the same story, which is that Jar Jar is the best. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the that's one of the biggest tragedies of the prequel era. And we are now functionally at the end of the prequel era. Yeah. Is that Jar Jar was this character who was crazy fun. When I watched Phantom Menace and I was like 13, I was like, well, I don't want to speak like Jar Jar, but Jar Jar is fun. I'd yeah. love to have a Jar Jar in my life. And then when I was like an edgy, you know, teenager early 20s i was like oh jar jar sucks now i'm like jar jar has such a purity of spirit and well-being that lets and and that type of person can move through life with grace Mm. and that's what jar jar does and it's easy to make fun of someone who moves through life with grace when you're like cool and edgy and you don't want to move through life with grace you want to suffer i want to stick it to the man yeah but but after a while, you realize that like that is the goal of so much is to be a graceful being. And that's like what the Bardottans are all about. That's what the Jedi are truly all about. Absolutely. I mean, it reminds me that Phantom Menace, of course, is the first Star Wars movie we watched and we mm-hmm. watched it together. Mm-hmm. And I was about to turn 26. And I think so much of how you relate to a movie is based on not just where you are in your life, but where the world is. Yeah. And we were in the middle of a global pandemic and I watched The Phantom Menace and I said to you, I turned to my left and said, Sam, that was so much fun. Yeah. And I looked at Jar Jar and I thought to myself, man, I feel like he's doing the best he can. I really relate to that. He is out of his depth. He is desperately paddling to Mm -hmm. stick his head above water, metaphorically. And he's doing great. And I respect that. I'm doing the same thing. Well, there's that scene in Phantom Menace when Obi-Wan force knocks him out because he's having like a breakdown. Yeah, because like, there's a massive fish coming after yeah. them. He's like, this morning I was having breakfast when an invasion fleet shows up <laughs> and then you guys tackle me and then we meet with the king who yells at me and then we just about got eaten by three fish. Like this is a crazy day. He's, he's the only sane one. I mean, this is the equivalent of me as a 26-year-old being like, oh my God, my health insurance deductible like isn't covered and I have bills coming in mm-hmm. and work is crazy and there's a lot going on in my personal life and I cannot handle it today. Yeah. And so there's this expectation from literature, from society that you should be a big damn hero about it. Which is such BS. It is. We have said time and time again, Jar Jar is an audience stand-in. He is. Most of us would not do much better than he does. And a lot of us would do a lot worse. If you unleash Gundarks in front of me, I'm running. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just just to live four breaths longer. If there were 10 stone temple guardians coming after me, do you think I would have the wherewithal to somehow turn them into a civil war against each other and then take their gun? Yeah, that's, it's totally crazy. And Jar Jar is lucky and he's uh, extremely agile and knows when to dodge. But 
My gosh. This yeah. is a number one foam finger charger is the best podcast. And <laughs> I'm sticking to that. This is what we stand for. This episode also rehabilitates Mace Window. Mostly, yeah. Mostly. Uh, importantly, when they land at the on the cool planet at the very beginning of the second episode, they park and Mace puts it in park. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to meditate. And Jar Jar's like bouncing off the walls. We got to go. Yeah. And he's like, just chill out for like one minute. And then as soon as he meditates and figures out using the He sees the, force, the market mm-hmm. square. He says, okay, that's where they're taking Queen Julia. Go. The time for patience is you know, has passed and now it's the time for action. I love that because it it opens up my S theory, my Sam theory that uh, Mace is a Padawan to Terra Sanube. Oh, I love that idea. As someone who waits for the exact right moment to act. It is my, it is an echo of my original favorite moment from The Phantom Menace, which is when Qui-Gon is separated from Darth Maul Mm -hmm. by the red laser wall Mm -hmm. and he crouches down and meditates. And I, as a 25 year old, thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. He is sitting there meditating, waiting for the laser wall to come up so he can explode into action. Yeah. And I thought that, is why the Jedi are so cool. And that is the style of Jedi that Mace Windu is as well, because he is a peer of Qui-Gon. He's not a peer of Yoda, but he's also not a peer of Obi-Wan. He is way higher up than that. And so being able to be an old school investigative Jedi, but still at the prime of his action, able to punch 427 cultists... (laughs) What did you do today, Mace Windu? Oh, I punched 427 cultists in the face. Only four of them died. I restored the diplomatic relations between Bardada and the Jedi. I gave some great wisdom to Jar Jar Banks. It was a good day. I did not crash any starships, Anakin. God, take that, Anakin. Safe landings all around. (laughs) You want to be a Jedi Master? That's how you roll. You land your starship safely. Incredible. Before we get to Baywatch, there's one more fantastic thing that mm-hmm. brought me so much joy. I read this great article over the weekend about how Japanese animation, especially the movies and comic book adaptations, are very chaste about romance. Mm-hmm. So they use the hug as a stand-in for spicier moments. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are very dramatic, like we're falling through the sky and we're embracing. And it's supposed to stand in for... Getting down. Getting down. Getting it on like Donkey Kong. And when Julia says to Jar Jar, come meditate with me so that our minds can be as one, Mm -hmm. that is exactly the same kind of innuendo. And I am so here for it. (laughs) And then... Canonically, this is in the script. Mace Windu is like, they have been meditating together all night. It is the next day. 
And, then, and I have not seen them. And the next day, they're doing deeply flexible Tai Chi. They're doing a very sexy moving meditation together in this intimate meditation chamber. Yeah. So if Jar Jar can get some, you can get some. If Jar Jar can get some and earn the respect of his lady love mm-hmm. and save her from cultists and be better for Jedi PR than they ever will be, then we just all have a lot to live up to. We do. And it shows that living pure to yourself, true to yourself, and being a kind and understanding person like Jar Jar is, because Jar Jar is so rarely mean. I think this is actually the only time he's ever leveled a weapon at someone on purpose. Yeah. No, it's not. He did in the uh, in the Blue Shadow Virus arc and got Padme poisoned. But eh. yeah. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. The idea of just... That single-minded pursuit of right and justice and doing the right thing is beautiful in Jar Jar. May we all aspire to be more like Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) What would Jar Jar do? That is what I am asking myself. (laughs) (laughs) Just get all those bracelets, but double printed on the J. There you go. (laughs) WWJJD. Oh, delightful. Well, I think it is time to decide who among us will raise the ranks of Baywatch. Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? I'm saying it's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch! Samuel. Don't use my full name. <laughs> Jeez. Who is your bay? Oh my, I'm, I'm shook. <laughs> It's like when your mom uses your middle name. Yeah, yeah. Well, my mom's funny because she'll, uh, you know, you're in trouble if your name is the last one called. Oh. Yeah. She'd be like, Jared, Philip, Susanna, Huckleberry. I'm like, oh my God, I'm oh, going to no. die. <laughs> Huckleberry's the dog, if you don't know. Uh, so I'm going to go with Jar Jar. Yes. Yes. Um, Jar Jar sprung into action valiantly. He did bust out a spear and defend him, uh, defend the queen against like four cultists. Oh, yeah. He was the star of the show. He did all the right things. And if, if you are a Jar Jar hater from The Phantom Menace and you were to watch this arc, you'd see perhaps the way Jar Jar is meant to be seen. Which is that he fails forward. He fails forward and like at the very beginning when they're flying to Bardada, Mace is like, don't touch anything. Which is what Qui-Gon says when Jar Jar Mm -hmm. goes into Watto's shop and the Phantom Menace. And Jar Jar does touch everything and it's always like the background comedy. So now that that's been delivered and we understand that Jar Jar is basically one of those people who just kind of pokes at things and touches things. Now that that's been delivered, you see him as perhaps the way other people in the Star Wars universe see him as someone who just like, you know, he's goofy. He he gets his fingers in things. He causes a bit of a ruckus, but he's not like a... Willfully malicious character. Yeah, he's not at all a willfully malicious character. And a lot of times, either he causes a ruckus by being clumsy and then fixes it, mm-hmm. or... His very clumsiness is what allows for situations to resolve in a great way for him. Yeah. So out of all the Jar Jar episodes, this is you know the last time we see him really in action. And this is the most relatable 
Jar Jar. He's rarely trying to like clean up a mess that he made. There's very few shelves falling behind him. And at his worst, he bumps into Mace and knocks his lightsaber away. But then he resolves that situation. And we're left with someone who's a little bit clumsy, a lot of fun, has his heart in the right place, and actually does save the day. He is the one who pulls Queen Julia away. And granted, that's because Mace was fighting with Mommy T. Otherwise, but that's Mommy not T his skill things. set. He's not it's a warrior. Not. It's not. And it would have taken a full Jedi to take on Mommy T. She's real scary. Man, if all of my mistakes were things that either propelled me forward into a better situation or were things that I could fix with such positive ramifications, Mm -hmm. my life would be so charmed. I'm reminded of uh, when we went on vacation recently and whenever anything went wrong, it was like, all right, well, let's set ourselves up for success. Mm -hmm. And like every plan that I wanted to set in place was like, okay, we're going to set ourselves up for success. And that's like, you know, the way your coach dad would say, like, you got to eat a breakfast of Wheaties or whatever. But it's, <laughs> if you are prepared emotionally to succeed, to turn every single thing into a success, then you've already succeeded. Yeah, totally. And that is the philosophy of Jar Jar. Perfect. I love it. My bae is actually Queen Julia. Oh, I think she's a. I think she's a great monarch. I think mm-hmm. she's a great ruler. I like that she sets a lot of time aside for meditation, for intuition. Mm -hmm. She also saves the day because she's the one who football tackles Jar Jar out of the way so that the cultist is the one who gets zapped by the big Oculus thing on the ziggurat. It was a cool scene. It was an extremely cool scene. Uh, This is a beautiful arc. She is also the one who extends the olive branch to Mace Windu and says, maybe we will reopen negotiations with the Jedi. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's a brighter future for all of us, and I'm going to be the one in charge of crafting it. So she takes a very cool stance on the future of her nation, and she is sexually liberated in a way that I find very cool. She says, Jar Jar, you are my chosen consort. I'm so excited that you're here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to set aside time for us to be together in a really respectful, loving way. Yeah. I trust you and I know that you can help me and I'm going to let you help me. Yeah. I just think she's a cool paragon of a lady. Yeah, and she's also incredibly strong. The only way they're able to defeat her is by continually glitter bombing her. They glitter bomb her with drugs the whole time. And she's still able to pick Jar Jar out of a crowd and scream for his help as soon as they get to that market square. Very helpful. Yeah. She's just the best. Yeah, I like it. I feel very glad and very good about our Baywatch choices this week. Good. Well done. Good. I feel like Julia might be the first, like, not spacey name that ends up on our list. It is very strange. I was anticipating something very cool and very galactic, but no. Queen Julia and Degoyan Master Joseph and Bob over there and Frank in the corner. (laughs) Whatever. What are we watching next week? So next week we have The Lost One. Ooh. Season six, episode 10. 
which is a one-off. Just one solo episode. One solo episode. And it deals with, as a as a bit of a teaser here, because you can see this, is uh, what's up with Sifo-Dyas. What is up with Sifo-Dyas? I have been wondering this since Attack of the Clones. And why does he pronounce the Y in his name three different ways? Yeah, good questions. Good questions all around. Yeah. Deeply exciting. Very, very happy that we are covering that. Very happy that we're reaching kind of the end of season six. Yeah, after that, there's only one more arc. And then we are into season seven, which is absolutely critically acclaimed. And every time we've upgraded a season during the Clone Wars, like the quality of production has gone up significantly. It is extremely noticeable in this arc. It is a beautiful arc. It's very cool. Season seven had a several year gap Mm. and the art gets so much better. Oh, cool. Yeah. Love that for us. Mm Mm-hmm. As always, if you want more Skywalker, you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to become one of our patrons and get a free bonus episode every week, you can join us on patreon.com. Monthly memberships start at $3 a month, which is a pretty good deal. And oftentimes we have leftovers there. Yes, we often have conversations that we cannot get to in our one hour long episode of the week. So we record all of that for you on Patreon. And send this to a sexually liberated noble, you know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Into that. Or someone who moves through life with grace and poise and backflips. And maybe they're the same person, in which case, good on them. Yeah. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.